Welcome to Once and Future Authors, Changing Lives One Book at a Time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. I'm Stephanie, and I'm thrilled to be joined by a poet today, and she is most certainly someone you will want to read. So please welcome poet Linda Trott Dickman. Linda, thanks for joining us. So excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Is it poet or is there a poetess? I was... I I leave it to you. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was a thing. I don't know if it's a thing. It depends on the century. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and love your poetry, but you know that. I'm such a huge fan. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about you and um, where you got your start. I mean, I got my start writing roses or red, violets or blue when I was oh, in the third grade. Oh, poetically speaking. <laughs> 19, I mean, I wasn't going back to yeah, the stork. 1963 <laughs> or 4, I was in the hills of a camp in California, um, and I wrote, we had to bring a marble notebook, and so one of the things we were told to do was go sit in nature, which we were already in the high Sierras, so, and write a poem. And, and so I, I started writing poetry up there. I didn't know, I don't know that I knew what it, anything about the formal rules, but I just started writing my impressions of what was around me. Wow. Well, with all due respect, even I could write poetry in the High Sierras because it's gorgeous. <laughs> so that's like cheating. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, can you write poetry in a basement? I mean, Yes. I know you can. I pretty much can write poetry anywhere. But mostly in the High Sierras. The high Sierras, the pine trees are essential. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so when you came down from your mountaintop and handed in your notebook, did they say, oh, wow? I don't remember. Really? Uh, because we moved back to New York. And so I, I lost a lot of that, whatever that was. But I know once I got back, I was writing. I, and I was writing sporadically up through high school and got published in the high school uh, newspaper right? and then um, wrote some more. I don't have, I haven't found all my documents, but you know, in the purge of the house, I'm finding things. <laughs> so as I find them, I'm archiving them in date order so I know what I was writing. Wow. But I have journals back to my first year of college. My goodness. And my high school poetry. So I've been writing for a long time. You, you certainly have. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of stuff to find in the yes. purge, isn't it? Is, yes, and it's happening. <laughs> and it's still being written. That's the thing. It's still being written. Yes. Now, in college, you studied writing. No. In college, I was only ever interested in being a teacher from the time I was three years old. My mother took us on a trip. Uh, my parents took us on a trip to New Hampshire, which is where we went every summer. 
and she was inside doing laundry and when she came out she said I was sitting there three years old I had all these kids sitting up on a fence and I was teaching and I don't know what but I always wanted to teach and I and I still do it never left me I retired two years ago and I love what I did I went to so after that I went to school for being a school librarian right because I could have kids and books doesn't get better than that kids, <laughs> kids are the best and books are the best and kids and books wow yeah well you know how I feel about librarians I think they're like just shy of God because <laughs> I, I librarians to me know everything no they do the archives <laughs> they keep the records they know where to find they it. they know where to find it that's it they might not know everything none of us do but you know where to find and it. I will not relent I am relentless if you have a question I will look until I find the answer. A librarian is the original Google. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but better, because you have citations. And well, Google, I mean, half of that, who knows? Yeah, I check. <laughs> <laughs> I always check. So a school librarian up until two years ago. Yes. Oh, well, I know, I'm sure the students miss you terribly. I miss them. I, if the superintendent of schools would set me up in a tent in the high school, outside the high school, to teach kids how to read to kids, I would go tomorrow. Because I just love it. And I keep in touch with my kids. My, my first students are turning 53 this year. <laughs> and they're still my kids. And they're still your kids. Yep. So when did you, I mean, now you're an award-winning poet. You had, you know, different uh, stations, shall we say. When did that all start happening? So in 1995, AOL used to have what they called chat rooms. I remember. And there was a Christian chat room. And one day, this doctor from Ohio came into the chat room and said, hey, I just found out about this magazine that's going to be publishing, and he's looking for authors. And then the publisher came in and asked for people to write. And so I sent a poem into... The Salt and the Light, which is no longer being printed, but that was my first publication. And, and it, I just kept writing from there. You know, I've known you for so long, and I had no idea that there was an AOL chat room story that was involved. I'm loving this. <laughs> well, it was a different time. Yeah. Uh, in, in the AOL chat rooms, people used to, you know, you go where your interests were. So right. we would t go in and talk about whatever it was we were doing and how our churches were doing, what's, what sing, songs we were singing. Right, right. And so, um, and sometimes we would defend people who came in and either were of a different faith or of a different uh, lifestyle. And we, I made some very good friends in that room and I have visited most all of them in person. Really? We went to England to see one. We went to the South and saw two or three of them. And all of them, strangers, I am not a good advertisement for do not talk to strangers. I, my kids said, Mom, you're just not a good example. I said, I, I know. <laughs> so it all started in an AOL chat room, your first publication. Yep, that was my first one. And I actually, uh, I don't remember, I, I just remember keeping, I kept writing. Right. Um, but I didn't really do anything. I, oh, when I was writing for our school newsletter, and I would put things in the newsletter, and one of the board members said, you know, I like your newsletter, but I really like your poetry, when that was really nice. Nice. So I just, I've been encouraged all along the way. Oh, my goodness. Now, I have a stack of books here. 
Am I right that this is your first? This is the first oh. one. See, the I art of them being... in the wrong order. Robes, the art of being covered. Now, how did this come about? Okay, so there's one more story between. Oh, please. Between that and there. Okay. And that is, I was never one of those teachers who just wanted to sign up for a class because I needed credits. For me, it had to have a reason. It had to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So one day, my wonderful principal, the late Carol Anderson Hoffman, sent me a note and said, hey, there's this course being offered by a, uh, Hofstra called the, poet, the Teacher as Poet. Go take it. Think about it. So I signed up like, you know, five seconds later and took it and aced it and wrote, you know, they, the teacher asked for three poems and I wrote three books, <laughs> literally. And um, then I got out of that and she said, have you ever considered going to school for some poetry? So I got gutsy and applied to Adelphi and went for my interview there. And my beloved professor, Jacqueline Jones Lamont, um, interviewed me and then I was accepted. P.S. This came after I got my thesis, uh, right. graduated, and I saw a, a, no, a call for open submissions um, from the press and I submitted a book and didn't even get honorable mention. And then I submitted another book and that's the first one that got honorable mention. And that's the second one that got honorable mention. And that's the one that won the first, first prize. So this is after your MFA thesis? Yes. Okay. So this is not your MFA thesis? No, that's another book altogether, which is archived at Adelphi called Out of the Valley of Sorek. Oh, okay. I did a reverse. Th okay, so in literature, you're supposed to have an arc in a book. It's supposed to go like this, right? right? Or, or, or like this, but there's supposed to but be But there an should arc. be some sort of a but lump. Mine, yes. my, I said, I'm, I'm very, um, sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit different. And so I decided, I'm not going up, I'm going down. So I went from, the, I went from one place down and then back out. Oh. And I was re it was like a rescue story. Okay. And so um, it was, it, and I really liked it. <laughs> and I had great professors. And I started at 58. So um, I was not, I was older than some of my professors and not older than others, but right, it was right. a really good ride. It wow. was a really good ride. I cried the first two, the first semester I cried all the way home two days a week. Really? Because I was, had been out of school since 1977 and, and I went back and oh. I just did it. I think so don't ever, don't ever tell me you're too old to do something because I will argue with you. I agree. I agree. I say that to people all the time. And a year from now, if you don't do it, you'll still be a year older, but yeah, you could be doing that. And yeah, so back to the thing. I mean, I finished my MFA, and then um, my principal just kept uh, encouraging me. And so then I was, and the whole time I was doing that, I was writing with children from my very first job about five years in, let's say. So 35 years out of the 40, I was writing with kids. So I was always writing with kids, and I was always writing poetry. So I was just, I, I'm always writing. You're always writing. I just recently have decided I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if that answers your question. <laughs> if we're sitting here at a table with a, a pile of books that you wrote, I guess you're a writer. Yes, I am a writer. So this was an honorable mention. Yes. This, this finally made an honorable mention. And, um, and this one, also an honorable mention then a few years later. Yep. And I love, love the story behind Road Trip because it grew out of 
a whole contest, didn't it? It did. Okay. The same press um, offered uh, a contest, and it was the same contest that I entered the other two books right. in. But this one, um, I knew we were going on a road trip, my husband and I, and I decided to just throw caution to the wind and have fun. And so um, for the younger people out there, I don't know if people sing in the car anymore. <laughs> but uh, we didn't <laughs> we didn't really have a whole lot of options other than, you know, card games and and what have right, you. We right. could read, we could talk, but we sang a lot and my family was very musical in that way. Not that they were everyone was musicians, although we all ended up turning to be musicians. Um, so we sang a lot across the country and back again. And so I decided that the my um, chosen theme was going to be musical. And so most of the poems in that book follow some kind of a musical theme. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, that was, was fun. And the other thing that, that uh, is common to all of our road trips is before we leave any trip, my husband and I pray what is called the Tolkien Prayer. And it starts out, you know, uh, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and um, we are going to be traveling and bless us there and back again, which is The Hobbit. Yes, The Hobbit. So, so um, uh, and that's how he proposed to me too, my husband. So Tolkien's a big deal. No, <laughs> Tolkien's a big deal. Wait, you had a Tolkien proposal? Oh, yes. I never uh, told you about that. I did not hear about the Tolkien okay, proposal. So, so um, I was living in my first apartment and my husband came to have dinner with me and he walked in the door and he was wearing a a raincoat and in the raincoat pockets he just he walked in and didn't say a word and he put his hands up and I could see that there was a bottle of champagne in one pocket and he said simply what was the riddle that won what was the riddle that won mm-hmm remember when oh, goodness gracious remember me. when Gollum was in the cave yes yes with Frodo and they had a riddle contest <gasps> what was the riddle that won what has it got in its pockets? Oh. And once I realized that, he just went. So I pulled out the bottle of champagne and he went down on his knee and proposed to me. <laughs> well, thank God you knew what the riddle was. <laughs> I could have lost it all. Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's what it was. And so Tolkien's a part of everything. I'd never be married if I had a thing like that. I'd be standing there saying, I have no idea. Do I have to read the whole book? I mean, <laughs> oh, my God. Wow, I love that. Oh, thank you. Oh, well, fortunately, he knew that you knew the riddle that won. He was probably hoping. <laughs> <laughs> that was your test, because if you didn't know what was the riddle that won, he was walking out that door. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, this was, you told me you had to write a poem every day for 30 days. Yes. And so the rules are that you have to write the poems within 30 days. You cannot write them ahead of time. Okay. You cannot do anything ahead of time other than maybe contemplate what your theme might be. So all I did was keep a travel journal as we drove across the country. Every place we stopped, we took a lot of pictures. And um, I, I would take notes. Or I would, if I was driving, I would say to David, write this down. And so, and so that's how, it, and I put it away until April, and then I took it out, and bing, bang, boom. Wow. Wrote my little heart out, got it in by the deadline, which was May 5th, and 
when I got the letter that I had won, <gasps> you could have heard me in the city. <laughs> because I live in Suffolk County. You could have heard me in Manhattan because oh I was gosh. so excited. You should be. That's fabulous. I'm really pleased with that <gasps> book. I love that. That is just wonderful. And, and as a person who loves to travel, you know that this is my favorite, with all due respect to the others. No, I do know this one. Well, because I've been to so many of these places that are mentioned here and absolutely adored them, but I did not write beautiful poetry about them. I just said, wow, this is nice. And it didn't rhyme. <laughs> not, not that poetry a lot of, has to rhyme. Yeah, not, not, a lot of, uh, not everything in that book rhymes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a misnomer that poetry must rhyme. Yes. Which you're teaching me that poetry doesn't need to rhyme and that there are all these different styles of poetry and, and it's far beyond roses are red and violets are blue. Although you can have some fun with that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you can. I bet you can do much more with roses <laughs> or red and violets or blue than I can. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I haven't gotten you to do it yet, but you will write poetry. Oh, you will. I will one day? I have faith. <laughs> mm, I, I know you are getting other people to write poetry. So, so tell us a little bit about the Northport Arts Coalition and what you are doing there. Again, um, I did not necessarily go looking for this, but I got, a, <laughs> I got a little message on Facebook from a friend of mine who is one of the most positive, encouraging proponents of myself and, and my family. And she said, you really need to look into this. Northport Arts Coalition is looking for a poetry coordinator. So I looked into what they wanted and I wrote up a resume and I sent it in and they called me and said, we would love to offer you that position. It's a volunteer position, here, here are your jobs. This is what you need to do. Uh, you need to get poets once a month for the Cafe Portofino in Northport. Right. And um, then, and here is we would like to have a, we would like you to comply with whatever rules the, the hostess of the place had. Right. And um, and so I did, and I do. And uh, what other things you're doing with adults and poetry? Thank you for asking. So one of the things I've been doing for the past couple of years is working at Samantha's Little Bit of Heaven, running a workshop for. Um, Poets, which was originally called Poets of the Promise, but we're revising that. Uh, one of the members came up with a wonderful name, so it's going to be uh, Poetic Voices of Samantha's Little Bit of Heaven. I'm also teaching a class for uh, you. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of teaching, I know that all writers say that in order to be a great writer, you have to be a great reader. So do you read poetry, and who would you recommend that we start reading? I. You know, I don't think there's a prescription for who you should read, <laughs> but we live in the United States of America, so I heartily suggest Walt Whitman. I heartily suggest Emily Dickinson. I heartily suggest um, Robert Frost, William Carlos Williams. Um, I'll, I'll continue to think about it, but there are some poets that are that are just people, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. My father used to sit at the kitchen table and recite Hiawatha or the Midnight <laughs> Ride of Paul Revere. Wow. My father was constantly rhyming and singing and doing all kinds of silly things with us. And it was just wonderful because, you know, we'd say a word and he'd say, you know what that means? And he'd clear the kitchen table with his hand, clear the crumbs and write with his finger. And we'd all be staring at this <laughs> Tablecloth. No, really? <laughs> Reading what he was writing and listening to what he was saying. But we learned etymology at the table. He taught us the Latin roots of words, and he taught us to say them in French. And he, 
interest, it's just interesting what we learned at the kitchen table. Yeah. Now, when he was writing at the kitchen table, was it in the crumbs so you could read no, it? You no, no, no. You had to figure it out. Crumb free. Crumb free. And then he would write. With his finger. With his finger on the blank white tablecloth or checkered tablecloth. You'd better pay attention, uh, man. You bet we, we did. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. had better pay attention. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you know, there are other poets that I like. Um, Charles Simic is a good one for line breaks. But, you know, in terms of, I think about children's poetry. Nikki Grimes is terrific with, with, she. I, I have to ask one quick question. What does it mean to be good with line breaks? <laughs> Roses are, is not the line. Roses are red is the line. Right. So if I said Roses are and went to the second line and went red, violets. Would that be The next line bad? it could be are blue. Right. You would say Roses are, red violets are blue, where you break the end of a line makes all the difference in the meaning. Right. Nobody questions what color roses are according to the traditional rhyme. Nobody. Well, that's true, but if you broke it the way you just mentioned, roses are... Red violets. Red violets. Wait a minute, what do you mean roses are red violets? I thought roses are red. <laughs> so that's what a line break is, oh. where you choose to break your line to move to the next thought. And by choosing a different place than is expected, you can make a different thought. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So that's, that's coming up in next week's lesson. So that's what... This, <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> so that's what this poet is especially good at, is shifting the line breaks to change your perception. Yes. There's also a man um, by the name of Malcolm Gweet, who is... I call him the Hobbit priest. Malcolm, I'm sorry if you're seeing this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he's adorable. And he writes... I think he thinks in sonnets. And he, the, where he breaks his lines, he leaves me in tears regularly. Really? He's okay. incredible. Now He's, I'm going to have to look at this whole line I'll break send, thing. I'll send, yes. Well, you will. I Just the, that's this week's lesson. I'm that. Okay. <laughs> now, what did you bring books here? Is that what you're reading right now? Well, you you're know. You're so good. So, I, so Stephanie Larkin, uh, <laughs> who happens to be you, <laughs> always asks the question I noticed when she is interviewing somebody, what are you currently reading? Well, this is true. So this is where I admit my weakness and tell you why I'm reading this book. So this is called The One-Year Book of Poetry, 365 Devotional Readings Based on Classic Christian oh. Verse. So this book, we went to visit my uncle in Arizona, my Uncle Ted, and um, he takes us to the Kiwanis thrift store because he's a part of the Kiwanis Club out there. And he said, do you see you know, anything? So we always buy things there to support the Kiwanis Club. And this was sticking out like a sore thumb. Really? And so why do I like this book, you might ask? I like it because it has all the classic poets of the United States of America, but it also has classic Christian poets everywhere from the 16th century forward. Wow. So I think... And um, you found it in a Kiwanis thrift shop. I did. And then the and other... you became a poet because of an AOL chat room. I'm loving this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then this one is called Beyond the Words, The Three Untapped Sources of Creative Fulfillment for Writers by um, Bonnie Goldberg. Oh. And, and so Bonnie Goldberg helped me already. I'm just in the first chapter. And she said, respect yourself as a writer. If you answer the question, well, I'm really not a writer, or so-and-so is better, or this or that or the other thing, and so I am a writer. And yes. so uh, she yes, has given are. me that confident platform to say those 
four words, I am a writer, without saying, oh, I'm kind of a writer. I'm not. I am a writer. There's a stack of books on the table. There's that. And, and you're the poetry coordinator of an arts coalition. And, and you were a bard laureate. I, I, I love that word. I love the word bard. <laughs> Ever since I saw Something's Rotten, the Shakespeare musical, mm -hmm. and there's a whole song about the bard, and when you told me you were the bard laureate, I just had this vision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had was... an absolute vision. So what does a bard laureate do? I don't suppose you star in Broadway shows, so you let me know. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bard laureate, uh, when I asked the coordinator what exactly are my duties, he said, you just keep doing what you're doing. Oh, every opportunity I can. Use poetry. Use poetry in the classroom. Use poetry in the library. Use poetry at the beginning of a lesson, but not necessarily something dry like <coughs> cracker juice, but something that's wonderful, right. something that is funny, something that tickles the ears, right. something that evo evokes an emotion. I love that. So I said my weakness. My weakness is, in my opinion, that I don't have a baseline of classic American literature necessarily. So you're catching up. So I'm, I'm, yes, I'm having on a steady diet. <laughs> you're on a steady diet of classic American literature. I am. Not for nothing, we should all be on a steady diet of some classic American literature. Indeed. That wouldn't be a bad thing. You know how we try to eat healthy, take vitamins, walk, you're wearing a Fitbit, so obviously you're doing some of the right things out there, and classic American literature. Yes. So what else can our future poets out there do? Any, any tips to get us started besides classic American literature? I will try to give you, I, I'm looking at, at, at the camera people in the room in the, on my peripheral vision, and I'm thinking, okay, so how do you write poetry when you write? And I've seen a lot of people pick up their phone and write themselves an email or mm -hmm. put, open up a notebook app and write in it. I know myself as a learner, so when I tell you I have in my purse over there an actual notebook and I write in the notebook and if it's not that I say honey grab a map and write these words down if, you, if I'm driving and I need to, to write girl. something I like it because I need to sometimes say it out loud mm -hmm. feel it touch it write it so that it it starts to cook gotcha it's like when you're making spaghetti sauce you know you start with the with a little oil and garlic and then you move on from there you know it, you so that the, the writer's notebook for me is the olive oil and garlic so step one, buy a notebook. Or use a <laughs> notebook. If you've got 55 notebooks from the time you were three years old, fold a page and say poetry and start writing. Right. If you see something that's beautiful and something you're reading and you own it, highlight it or translate it or take a picture of it so that you don't lose it. And just start paying attention to that. And then seek out a writer's group. And don't apologize for who you are or how, where you are or how far you've come. Just be yourself and say, I want to write better. That's fabulous. I love Don't Apologize. Be who you are, get started, figure out, you know, whether it's a notebook or I admit I do write on the notes app of a phone. <laughs> so wherever it's going to be, just get started. Yes. Yes, indeed. And read classic American literature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at, at least some. At least something. And you should read some world literature as well. It's not just only America, but since we have a lot of good writers here, why not? Why not? Absolutely. And they're in English, and that probably I'm thinking helps. of Happy Feet right now. There's a place in the Happy Feet where Robin Williams, as, as, the, 
as Ramon says, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> well, obviously you have been doing it because we got all of this. So you're obviously doing it. And I hope that our viewers realize that it is never too late, as Linda said, it is never too late to start the next chapter in the rest of your life. And if the next chapter of your life is poetry, well, you can do it. So get started. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us for Once in Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing.